All right, well, welcome. We're continuing our series. You mean the Bible teaches that. And today's issue is what the Bible teaches about race, the issue of race. And we've looked at several other issues. Those recordings are on our website. So if you haven't been able to be here uh, for those, I encourage you to listen. And the PDF of the notes for those sessions are next to the audio. So you can just click on it and it'll come up on your screen so you can follow along as you listen. But today, race, page number one. Over a century and a half after the emancipation of slaves in the United States and over 60 years after the beginning of the civil rights movement, race is still an important topic in American culture. So let me stop there. Just that sentence and that last phrase especially, race is still an important topic in American culture. For some in this room, you'll simply acknowledge that to be true. And then for others, I'm guessing that you're annoyed by the fact that that's true. And that may, that's because people take two diametrically opposed approaches to that. And one approach is by people who've experienced it. And so they very readily acknowledge that it's still an issue. And then the other approach is by people who have not. And it's very easy, if we have not, to then adopt an attitude that says, well, when are you going to get over it? So you're annoyed when somebody says what I said here. It's still an important topic in American culture. Get over it. So that's one side. And then the other side, though, is you have people who, for whom every encounter between people of different races involves some level of racism. And that's extremely difficult to prove. And yet, it's foisted upon folks. And so you have one side that's saying, get over it. You have another side that's saying, every encounter between people of different races is involves some level of racism. And so at the very beginning, we approach it differently. And I want to alert you to that and alert myself to that and ask you to be as open-minded as you can given that as we go through this material. We're most interested in what the Bible teaches, but then having seen what the Bible teaches, we want to apply it, we want to play it out in our lives as Christian people in a consistent way with what Scripture says. So if you're in the annoyed category... You might be somebody who likes the theme to All in the Family. You guys remember All in the Family? Archie and Edith. And Archie and Edith would start out at the piano. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. Songs that made the hit parade. Guys like us, we had it made. Okay, I won't sing the whole thing. You were waiting for me to do the Edith High part. Guys like us, we had it made. Those were the days. And you knew who you were then. Girls were girls and men were men. Mister, we could use a man like Herbert Hoover 
again. Didn't need no welfare state because everybody pulled his weight. Gee, our old LaSalle ran great. Those were the days. And a group of us can hear that. And it resonates. We're going, yeah. There was a day when everybody just pulled their weight. We didn't need any, we didn't need any welfare state. And we had it made. <clears throat> but let's dissect that a little bit. Is it really true that there was a day that nobody needed any help? Maybe you didn't need any help. Maybe your people didn't need any help. But is it ever true that there weren't people that didn't need any help? My mom uh, is from Appalachia, eastern Kentucky, coal mining country. And I remember as a boy going there every year on vacation. And I loved going as a kid because we got to run the hills, literally, around my grandma's, my aunt's house, BB guns in hand. It's a wonder no one got injured. We're just shooting indiscriminately out there. But we had a blast. But, you know, I was always affected by it. And I came from the wrong side of the tracks myself. I, Most of you know I grew up in E-Course. And I always add, I live to tell about it. Here I am. And uh, But, but when, even then... Having grown up in a you know, lower class family, when we went down to my mom's folks' place, my grandma, my grandpa had a, a pretty a nice house. They ran a general store right next to their house. My aunts and uncles, but there were people all around them that just lived in the most squalid conditions. And when my mom was a girl, they didn't have electricity. And Lyndon Johnson, uh, well, FDR, before that, yeah. but Lyndon Johnson uh, uh, put into effect the Rural Electri Electrification Administration. And the idea was in rural areas to bring electricity to them. And that happened. And as a result of that, my mom, for her entire life, she's now with the Lord, but she was a Democrat her entire life. FDR and LBJ helped my mom's family. And I saw the fruits of that in their, in their family. It was still a very poor area. I still remember being in school, in elementary school, and in our a civics book, turning to a page that had a half-page picture of Lyndon Johnson on a front porch, and the uh, statement underneath it said that Lyndon Johnson visits a poor family in Appalachia in 1964. And as I looked at that porch, I'm going, that looks just like one of the neighbors. And I, and I remember how I felt. That's me. That's my, that's my family. So everybody didn't have it well. And there are some people who are very grateful for help from other people. Uh, and my family can identify with that. A bit. So, guys like us, we had it made. Guys like who? And have you ever stopped to think, have we stopped to think, that there are people outside of guys and gals like us who didn't have it made? And for whom it was much more difficult. 
So I'm encouraging you to to think about that. Guys like us, we, we had it made. And those were the days. But were they the days for everybody? And that's why sometimes now in our culture, when you hear folks say, and I'm just throwing the slogan, I'm not trying to wax political here. It's just the fact. When the reaction you get when someone says, let's make America great again. See, the again part, for some people, they wonder what that means. And so if you're, I encourage you, if you're going to say that, then I'm in favor of making America great again, that you also take plain, take pains to explain what you mean by again. What is it you're wanting to be great again? Specifically. I think it could be a fine phrase, but it needs to be defined. And if it, but if it's accompanied with, and as we talk about race, you don't just have to think of black and white. You can think of Hispanic and, and white. We've got Hispanic brothers and sisters in our church. We've got black brothers and sisters in our church. We've got, most of us are white. But we've got that div- level of diversity. So it doesn't just have to be black and white. And when they hear again, and then Hispanic person hears that in the context of, and I'm quoting now, they're rapists and they're murderers coming across the border. Not some of them are rapists and murderers. They're rapists and murderers. How does an Hispanic person hear that? And I'm just asking you, as I ask myself, to think about that. So that when you have this first line, when I have this first line, that says that it's an important topic still, please, Try to check the annoyance and try to step back and to say, well, why is it? And is there some legitimacy to that? And if I were in that person's shoes, how would I, how would I feel about it? Let me take it further. I think one reason that it's easy for some of us to get annoyed at that It's because we say, look, whatever happened, I wasn't there. I didn't do it. So just stop talking to me about what other people did decades ago. I didn't do it. All right. I mean, I didn't either. So I'm with you. I didn't do it. Fair enough. But do you care? That's the question I'm asking now. And do I care? Do I care about what's been done? Not did you do it, but do you care about what's been done? Even if you didn't. Is it appropriate for Christian people to care about what's been done to other people? And I would, I think that's rhetorical. Of course it is. Am I my brother's keeper? The Bible's answer to that is yes. Jesus gives this poignant illustration in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you all remember that it's the Samaritan who takes care of a a Jewish man who's beaten and left for dead. And Jesus is telling this story 
to people who hate Samaritans. So this is a racial story he's telling. And he, he says this, this good Samaritan is good because he's able to overlook the hatred that you're mutually shooting at each other. And he goes and helps this person. And he's telling that to Jewish leaders who despise the Samaritans. And the Samaritans despise them as well. But at least this good Samaritan was able to overcome that. So let me ask you, how much do you know about the experiences of somebody outside of your own race? If you're, if, if you're like me, not much. And I've been interested to learn, but even that only gives me so much insight into what somebody else has gone through. A few years ago, when we had a spate of shootings of black men by police officers, you guys remember that? In a couple of year period, we had a number of those high profile. And we had a black couple in our fam- in our church family. And the this brother wrote to me, and he wrote to about twelve other guys in the church. Sent us all a text, and he said, "Pray for me. I'm uh, scared, and I'm trying to figure out how to handle all this." And we, you know, get that. And I think I could speak for all the other guys. None of us were scared. And I wouldn't have really have thought about anybody being scared until he wrote me that. And I looked at it and I thought, there's something going on with him that I just don't know anything about. So I said to him, I wrote back to him and I said, would you like to get together and talk? And the 12 of us or so got together. Some of you were in that room. And I told him, I would like for you to just tell us what you're experiencing with all this. What is it you're, what is it you're afraid of? And so we did that. And it was helpful to me. It was eye-opening to me in many ways. As this brother told a story about how when he was a young man on New Year's Eve, and he grew up in church, and he was going to a church service on New Year's Eve with some of his young black friends. And he was driving a, a car and he, and he gets pulled over for nothing. Now, you just have to take his word for all of this. Of course, we weren't there. But I have no reason to doubt what he's saying. He gets pulled over and nothing had happened. The, guy, the police officer had nothing to... And, and these guys were afraid. The, the police officer, as can happen, and I'm a big fan of police officers. I mean, I think from a biblical standpoint, if you believe in sinfulness of humanity, then you're really wise to be thankful for those who suppress the uh, the actions and activities of sinful humanity. And that includes police. And so I'm very, 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 very thankful for our police. But I also know it's true that when you get in uniform, you can get cocky. And I've experienced that. And so it can get tense very quickly and it did and they had to get out of the car and they had to be they had the whole bit and ultimately there was no violent confrontation but 
They were afraid. They went on their way. And there was no explanation given as to why they were pulled over. So he's telling stories like that. He's got a son, and he's saying, I'm having to tell my son what to do. Now, as a a son, I never had anybody give me that talk. I never had anybody tell me, hey, be really careful when when you get pulled over by a cop because it's possible you'll get shot. Nobody ever told me that. Because nobody ever thought of that. But this is something he thinks about. And it's experience that is foreign to mine. So I tried to do that. I'm encouraging you to do that as well. I'm asking, how much do you know about the experiences of someone of another race? And then I ask a follow-up question. Do you care about the experiences of someone of another race? Or do you just take a let's move on approach? Now, that let's move on approach to just try to illustrate how that goes in life and in personal interactions. We've all been wronged before, right? Somebody's done you wrong and then they don't want to own it. They don't want to deal with it. And so they just, you know, you're trying to say, hey, you did this to me and I'd really like to get... And they say, let's just... Now, I grant, that's somebody who did you wrong directly. And here we're talking about the legacy of how somebody was done wrong. And you're not necessarily the one doing the wrong. But just taking a let's move on approach communicates, I don't really care. I don't really care how this is affecting you. So just get over it. We're in those categories. Some people are in the category that every encounter is a racial encounter. Some are, just get over it. I don't really care what happened in the past. And I would suggest to you that both of those are wrong. That those are not the best approaches for Christians to take toward this issue. So now back to page one. For all the talk, third line there, about a colorblind society, our culture is one that's still almost obsessed with racial issues. Charlottesville, Black Lives Matter, white privilege, cultural appropriation, and intersectionality all remind us of the pervasiveness of racism and racial issues in our country. Now, you see those. You guys are familiar with what happened in Charlottesville. You're familiar with the Black Lives Matter movement. There's the white privilege, cultural appropriation, intersectionality. White privilege, if you're white, you have privileges is the idea that other people don't have. Recognize that is the idea. Cultural appropriation is the idea that you would, uh, that you would claim to know what's going on with somebody else. Uh, when in fact, uh, you don't. Again, I'm not, I'm not making statements. I'm just, uh, recounting what others say about it. And then there's intersectionality. And that's become a gigantic deal that includes race, but it also includes other minority issues beyond race. Here's what it means. One author uh, defines intersectionality as this, the intersecting systems 
of privilege and oppression. Intersecting systems, systems of privilege and oppression. So the idea is that there is systemic institutional things that hold some people back and not others. That's the idea. But where does the intersectionality idea come from? Well, let me read to you what one says about it. An intersectional activist might recognize that black men in America have suffered oppression. But the heterosexual Christian black man may be considered more privileged than a white homosexual Wiccan transgender woman. Try to keep that all straight. That is, that person's actually a white man. The thinking goes that while the black man may be a racial minority, the trans woman is affected by a, quote, matrix of oppression, discrimination because they're a woman, even though they're actually a man, discrimination because they're a sexual minority, discrimination because they're a religious minority, the Wiccan part, and so on. So when intersectionality, there's actually kind of points given for how much, how many categories you have of oppression. And therefore, how much should be done for you in order to help you uh, out of that? I'm making no comment at this point about that. Just that's what it is. And those are some of the things we have going on. Race is one of those in the mix. So back to page one. What is racism? Racism is a belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities, and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. They view skin color as indicative of personal worth and ability. So, ask yourself, when you look at someone, what goes on in your mind? What do you think about that person when you see them externally, when you see their skin color, what do you think about them? And before God, between you and God, ask and answer that question. And do I treat people differently based upon that? And I would just suggest to you that you don't be so quick to say no. I don't treat people differently. That may be true. Maybe you don't. But don't be so quick to conclude that. And the reason is, there are just study after study after study that shows that people are, in fact, treated differently based upon external differences. When they go into a store, when they're driving on the street, So at least a lot of people, according to those studies, do in fact treat people differently. Sometimes unconsciously, but they are. So don't exempt yourself as I don't exempt myself from the possibility that I do the same thing. Racism, next paragraph, can consist of overt acts of discrimination or prejudice, such as separate water fountains, hotels, preferential job treatment, of equally qualified people, but it can also consist of more subtle things such as attitudes. And that's where most of us are. I mean, we don't have laws against uh, discrimination based upon public accommodations and those kinds of things. 
now. Uh, but there are more subtle forms, and most often for people like us, if it happens, it's going to happen at the level of attitude. Racism is measured by considering whether an act or attitude is driven by a person's skin color or ethnicity. So again, I, mean, I know I'm asking, trying to ask some penetrating questions for myself and for all of us. Uh, but here's another one. Do you ever find yourself talking about those people? And if you do, think about what you're saying. What do you mean by those people? And what is it about those, those people? And I would encourage you to be extremely careful about lumping people together, just like minority, if you're a minority, you need to be very careful, careful about lumping all white people together. And there's a whole lot of that as well. Knowing what white people think and what their, what their motivations are and all of that, when in fact you don't know that about everyone. So what's the Bible say? The Bible is clear that there is but one race. All the way back in the beginning of human history, in the Garden of Eden, God created two people, Adam and Eve. These two were the only entry point ever into the human race. As a result, all humans are descended from Adam and Eve. You see that in Genesis chapter 1. You have the first man and woman made in the image of God. And the New Testament, bottom of page 1, confirms that all people are related through Adam and Eve. The God who made the world, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He's in Athens, Greece. He's talking to Greek philosophers. And he says to them, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by hands, and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And then, Paul says, from one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. This confirms that all of us are related. There is no us and them. There is biblically one race, and that is the human race. All descended from the same two people. Now, top of page 2, Acts chapter 17 says that God determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. In the King James, it says, God set the boundaries of their habitation. Where their habitat would be, God set the boundaries for that. So, uh, uh, Bob Jones Sr., the founder of Bob Jones University, and Bob Jones University has made a bunch of improvements over the last 10 to 15 years that I'm very thankful for. But historically, uh, Bob Jones has had a racist history. And yet it's a fundamentalist institution, Christian institution. And Bob Jones uh, Sr. was a segregationist. And he uh, actually wrote in 1960, he preached a sermon, it has a pamphlet that you can still get a hold of, that segregation is scriptural. 
And his son, Bob Jones Jr., carried on the same thing. For decades and decades, uh, African-Americans were not allowed into admission into Bob Jones University. Uh, they changed uh, they they changed that under duress in a case that went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and is known as Bob Jones versus the United States. They lost. They lost their tax exemption as a result of that. Uh, even after that, they maintained a policy of no interracial dating and only changed that about ten years ago. But this verse is the one that was used. That God determined the bounds of their habitation, meaning the peoples of the earth are supposed to be separate and there should be boundaries and we shouldn't mingle together. That was the idea. And, of course, it totally misses the point of the context of the thing because just prior to that is where Paul's saying we all came from the same people. We're all related. So he's talking about the sovereignty of God in determining what time people would be born and into what place those people would be born. He's the God who made everything in the world and he controls everything in the world and he's telling that to these philosophers. And in the midst of that, he says, we all came from the same two people. So I just say that not to beat on, but just to say that's the history, guys and gals. And many of us are affected by that. This confirms that all of us are related. There is no us in them. In Adam, we are all cousins, although very distant cousins. This also answers that question that skeptics ask about Christianity. When they say, where did Cain get his wife? Remember that? Uh, Cain married a relative. Matter of fact, you married a relative too. Just a distant relative. He married a relative, and the relative he married was more distant than it seems because uh, there were whole cities that existed by the time that Cain took his wife. And they had other children, even. So it was even more distant for Cain than it seems just reading the narrative. But the truth is he married a relative, as we all have. And then after the flood in Genesis 6, where God destroyed the world for its Exceeding sinfulness. Noah and his three sons and their wives became a new Adam through whom the entire race would continue to be populated, repopulated. So from Adam, everybody came, including Noah and his family. And then from Noah and his family, the rest of us have come. The origin of races. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. It's kind of tedious. But what it says on page two and going into page three uh, is that that race, genetically, is a very minor, uh, let me take that back, skin color, genetically, is a very minor thing. And if you read through what's on page uh, two and what's on page three, you see that just a very, very slight uh, variation in, uh, in genes affects skin color. Uh, and in fact... It talks about uh, redheads. Look at the top of page three. Skin color and hair color result from the relative levels of two types of melanin pigment. The dark brown pigment, that's on page two, and a reddish version of the pigment. All people produce the red pigment 
but red-headed people lack the ability to produce normal levels of the dark one. It's now thought to be due to a mutation in one of the genes involved in pigment manufacture in the skin cells. Not only do redheads lack the ability to produce much protective dark pigment, but the red pigment reacts directly with sunlight to produce chemicals which cause damage to their DNA, which leads to skin cancer. So redheads have to be doubly careful in their exposure to the sun. Well, red hair may be beautiful, and I would add is, I would say is beautiful. It uh, almost uh, certainly arose from mutation causing the loss of ability to produce dark pigments. So Eve was not a redhead, is what that means, okay? There are genes for all skin colors. Bottom of page three, Darwinian racism. And I would encourage you to read that, uh, those few paragraphs. But the idea here is that in Darwinism, it obviously doesn't have creation of two human persons from whom everyone came, and we're all related that way. Uh, But instead, you have... uh, People evolving at different places and some evolving faster than others. And so this Darwinian evolution has contributed to racism over the years because of that notion of some being more advanced than others. Middle of page four, are black people the result of a curse on ham? Have you ever heard that? And... So, you know that Noah's three sons were named Ham and Shem and Japheth. And God uh, predicted, there were, there were predictions given about the future for the descendants of each of those sons. And in some of the wording about what would happen with the one son named Ham, many have taken that to mean this is referring to uh, Africans and enslavement. And it's a curse because of a sin that Ham committed. So being black would be a result of being uh, being involved in this curse. That's the idea. It's false for reasons we're going to read, but it's been perpetuated for centuries. So the previous discussion shows clearly that the blackness of, for example, black Africans is merely one particular combination of inherited factors. This means that these factors themselves, though not in that combination, were originally present in Adam and Eve. The belief that the skin color of black people is a result of a curse on Ham and his descendants is nowhere taught in the Bible. Furthermore, it was not Ham who was cursed, but his son, Canaan. And Canaan's descendants were probably mid-brown skinned, not black. False teaching about Ham has been used to justify slavery and other unbiblical racist practices. It's traditionally believed that the African nations are largely Hamitic because the Cushites, Cush was the son of Ham, are thought to have lived where Ethiopia is today. Genesis suggests that the dispersion was probably along family lines and it may be that Ham's descendants were on average darker than, say, Japheth's. However, it could just as easily have been the other way around. So that's something that's been used, but it's wrong. All right. Christians, then, and race matters. The Bible's teaching on the image of God in man should remove all issues of race. Unfortunately, for those who do not believe the Bible or choose not to live by God's commands in the Bible, racism remains a sin against God and the image of God in fellow humanity. The truth is that all mankind is made in God's image. There's no room left for partiality. In the early church in the first century, there were some who were hesitant to accept this teaching that all were equal not only in humanity at large, but in the body of Christ. They wanted to bring their racial preferences into the church. God forbade, 
Or Paul forbade such attitudes in Galatians 3.28 where he said, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Further, the Bible teaches that we're not to discriminate based on physical characteristics. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. When it says don't show favoritism, that phrase literally means in Greek, do not receive a face. That is, don't accept someone based upon looking at them and what they look like, but rather based upon who they are, not what they look like, despite this biblical teaching. The church has a long and inglorious history regarding racism. In the U.S., many have justified racism based on erroneous teachings, such as Ham was cursed, therefore black people are inferior to others. In fact, some major denominations grew out of the slavery debate in the United States, the Southern Baptist Convention, for instance. So it's a little-known fact, but the Southern Baptist Convention started because of a split among Baptists over this issue of of slavery in the mid-1800s. And it's common knowledge that Sunday morning is the most segregated period of the week. Now, I look at our church, and I would love to have, I've thought about it a lot, I would love to have a multi-ethnic, multi-racial church. But I'm in Trenton. And so you get who lives in Trenton and who lives around Trenton generally. And so that doesn't bother me. Uh, you get who you li- who lives around you. And if that's a mix, great. If it's not a mix, well, then it is what it is. So the only question then for us, friends, is this. What if the mix changes? You okay with that? You should be. But think about it. Because if our attitudes are not right now, what makes us think our attitudes are going to be better then? If there's a change in the racial complexion of of Trenton and surrounding communities. Christ died for all mankind. He did not die just for the people that look like us or the people that look like him. God calls all people everywhere to repent and believe in him. And he can do that because Christ died for all men everywhere. His death was colorblind. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must live in the pattern of the atonement of Jesus, loving the people for whom Christ died without partiality or hesitation. You know, guys and gals, it's no, uh, it's no accident that when you come to the end of the Bible and the end of human history, that the Bible goes out of its way to say that there's going to be this reunion before God and worship of God from people of every tribe and tongue and nation. God has so designed it that way. So we, of every tribe, tongue, and nation, are going to spend eternity together. And yet, how well can we spend a few hours together? Today is the question we should ask. So Christians have to be careful to avoid all forms of racism in our words and attitudes. For instance, we must not attribute behavior to race. Those people commit so much crime, what's their problem? Because the Bible's question is, what is our problem? Sin. We not only have 
creation in common with all races, but we have the fall into sin in common with all races as well. We're all made in the image of God and we're all sinners bearing God's image. People do not behave in particular ways because of skin color or any other inherited characteristic other than a sin nature. All people are to be objects of respect as God's image bearers and of love as needy recipients of the gospel. So, some of you may be sitting there thinking, yeah, but the crime rate in this community is much higher. Why is that? And if you attribute that to skin color, you're a racist. Let me just be blunt. But those disparities in criminal activity, that's a legitimate area of inquiry. Why is that happening? And I would just suggest this to you, that the book of Proverbs, um, or excuse me, Psalms, the psalmist asked the Lord, uh, help me to not be impoverished so that I will not steal. What does that suggest? It suggests that environment affects behavior. Heredity affects behavior, that's for sure. We all inherited a sin nature from Adam, so we all have that in common. But what we don't have in common are the same environments. And the truth is, you grow up in a particular kind of environment with particular kinds of deprivations, needs, examples before you, all of that, you're going to be affected by that. And that doesn't matter whether you're black or white or brown or whatever you are, you will be affected by that. And we know this because we have a, what I don't know the origin of this term, I've never been able to figure it out, but here's what it's called, white trash. I mean, what does that mean? That means people who are behaving in particular ways, right? Unsavory ways. But they're white. And it seems like, and I don't know this, I've looked it up and I just don't know the origin of the term. I can't pass it, I can't track it down. But it's, I can't come up with any other thing than white trash is actually a racist term itself. You see, because it appears to say we're surprised when white people act like trash. But I don't think we should be when those white people are put into particular circumstances. And that would include white people in this room. So people are affected by their circumstances. And if you look at skin color as the reason that there are disparities in criminal activity and that kind of thing, then that's a racist approach. You look at other factors, environmental factors, but also understand that those affect all of us. Last paragraph. At our church, we should desire to look like our community, whatever its profile, now or in the future. We should want to be a multiracial church of first-generation Christians by God's grace. We will love the people that he loves and reach out to them with the message of life and hope in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. We'll be done. Our Father, you are the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. You're the creator of the first man and woman 
And we have all come into existence by procreation through them. And so we are all related and we all bear equally the image of God, whatever we look like, whatever our skin color. And so, Lord, help us to be people then who apply that in the way we interact, in the way we think. And help us to take seriously the idea that we could defame those who are in the image of God by the way we think, talk, and act. Help me, help us to take seriously the fact that this is a sin against you first and against those you've made if we do that. May we think carefully when we make comments and we see about inequalities and why those inequalities exist. Lord, may we be compassionate people who don't dismiss the circumstances of someone else simply because we didn't do it or it annoys us to keep hearing about it. But rather help us to put ourselves in the shoes of another, to indeed be our brother's and sister's keeper, to reach out and to care what someone's gone through even if we didn't do it. May we do unto others as we would want them to do unto us, as you told us. As a result of that, Lord, transform our thinking, transform our talking, transform our behaving, and then transform then our community. The community of faith that is Community Bible Church. May it indeed be a place where all men know we are your disciples because we love one another and we love one another no matter where we've come from or what our skin color is. And as a result of that, may you receive glory because of the new community that you have created through your church. Go with us this week and help us, Lord, to think about these matters and to put them into practice so that we are slowly transformed in the way we think so that we think like Jesus does. Bring us back together next Lord's Day, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.